right, so we're gonna be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So if you've got a Bible or a phone, open up to 1 Peter. If you're using one of our blue Bibles from the communion tables, page 588 is where you can find that. And if you have one of our blue Bibles and don't have a Bible of your own, take that one home with you, our gift to you, all right? Shout out free Bibles, take one. Um, page 588. So last week, we talked about Peter. We got to know him a little bit, got to know his story. Just a quick refresher, he ministered with Jesus for three years. He watched Jesus teach and do miracles. He even participated in miracles with Jesus. We talked about his really high highs and his really low lows. He had some epic moments with Jesus. He also had some epic fails, just like all of us. We all, hopefully we're really relating to Peter. So we're gonna read from him, verses one through five in First Peter. All right, let's go. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. All right, I wanna start out by telling you a story about my grandfather, all right? Shout out my grandfather. His name is Wendy or Harold or James or Jim. He goes by all of those names. I heard all of them said all of my life. I'm gonna call him grandpa, all right? My grandfather, this is the second week in a row, shout out my grandpa that he's making a teaching. He was that wise. He's gonna make the next 70 weeks of teaching. Anyway, my grandfather was in the Air Force for a few decades and he's a big believer of it. So we had a good relationship. We go on walks. We talk about life, him as a kid, teenager, adult. I was very fascinated. My grandpa's just an excellent storyteller. Anybody have grandparents that are just good storytellers? That's my granddad, all right? My grandfather also wanted me to be a fighter pilot in the Air Force. Very bad. I do not know why. My grandfather was not himself a fighter pilot. Maybe he's trying to live vicariously. Maybe he always wanted to be. He never told me that, but he wanted me to be one. He definitely told me that part, right? Because of this, I learned a lot about fighter pilots. So my grandpa would like tell me all this stuff and then he knew I wanted to be in ministry. So he'd like manipulate me a little bit. He'd go, you could also be a chaplain in the Air Force as you fly the planes or the jets, like the F-14, I don't know what they're called. I wasn't listening very much. I didn't want to be a fighter pilot, right? But he wanted me to be one. So anyway, because of this, I learned a lot of things about what it means to be a pilot in the Air Force, all right? And I even fact-checked some of this and I think the stuff he sold me on was true. It was a small piece of truth. There was a bigger picture about what it means to be a fighter pilot, but he told me some things. Bear with me as I'm trying to get through this story. All right. So he told me fighter pilots, uh, they start out young. All right. It's important, like mid, mid to low twenties. That's like an ideal time for pi fighter pilots to start out. And the reason is because they have a lot less holding them back in life, AKA they're kind of dumb, naive, but like in a good way. They're not aware of like the fragility of life. You know, like if, you, if, you, if you're older than 25, you remember when you're running at 25 years old and your knee starts hurting and you're like, oh my gosh, all I was doing was jogging. Life is fading. 
Like, you become, you like, you become very aware, like, I bet the rest of my body's fading too. It's not just my knee giving out, it's probably my heart giving out. Like, you know, you just become aware. But before that, you're invincible. Like, you can do whatever you want. You can jump off that cliff, you can drive that speed. It doesn't matter because you're good, right? You just kind of have that perspective. That's kind of the strategy behind training fighter pilots at a young age, right? They're probably not, they're not married most of the time. They don't have as much family. Their life doesn't even feel as consequential. Like, whatever, I got this mission to do, right? Because the older you get, you get family, you get kids. It's not just about you anymore. Your life matters to other people now. Like, I can't just like take this risk because it costs everybody something if I go somewhere, right? So if you're a fighter pilot and you've been given the task at hand, a mission or whatever, a mission or whatever, shout out fighter pilots and their missions and the the good work that they're doing for us right now. Um, But as you're doing that and you're making instinctive, impulsive, quick, split-second decisions, you need the least amount of things fogging your brain in that moment to accomplish the task at hand, right? It's important. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? Okay, so... Peter, the reason I thought of this, the reason I'm educating you on the air, we just talked the whole sermon about being a fighter pilot. I never even go there. And I go, all right, circle up your chairs. What are your thoughts on fighter pilots? Anyway, so the reason I thought about this this week, Peter's gonna take these verses and he's gonna give us some real perspective because he understands in a culture where the undercurrents are often taking us away from God. In fact, there's suffering, there's persecution. There's a lot of things where God has given a task at hand. There's something out in front of you. There's something you can grab hold of, but there's a lot of things that are gonna distract you. Let me give you a dose of perspective so that you can step into the grand adventure that God is inviting you into. But in life, inevitably, there's a lot of things that can hold us back or prevent us from seeing that. So I wanna talk about the power of perspective. The power of perspective. So in verse one, right off the bat, Peter says, to those who are elect exiles. All right, if you've never heard that, that phrase or that term, uh, basically um, to the people who have been chosen on purpose with purpose. Chosen on purpose with purpose. Purpose. This hit me this morning as I was going over my sermon again uh, uh, before I came here to Hillsborough Village. I realized, like, do you know when it's hard to believe that you're chosen uh, when you feel forgotten, right? Like, he uses this phrase, elect exiles. You know when it's hard to feel like you're elect, like chosen? When you're in exile. And it's amazing that he puts these words together. You know, the Israelites used to be a nation, independent fighting for their own, like they were their own community, own group of people. And then countries like Babylon, uh, Persia, Assyria, the Roman Empire all come in. There's war, they take over, and they're not really their own anymore. And because of that, you see, it says to the elect exiles of the dispersion, the people have been scattered about. And it's easy in a time of turmoil where you've been tossed and turned, there's fear, there's suffering, to kind of like start to doubt your chosenness. And Peter goes, hey, before we even start this conversation, let's remind you who you are. To the elect chosen by God, exiles, not forgotten, but you're not quite home because home isn't here and we're gonna get into that. And just a reminder for us today, in a culture, if you follow Jesus, that doesn't necessarily affirm or support or really cheer on the Christians who are like putting their lives uh, on the line for Jesus. Like he's gonna remind us, hey, don't forget your chosenness. The God of all things that keeps the earth orbiting around the sun and not, not the sun orbiting around the earth. I remember it's the earth that goes around the sun. The God that does all of that, he has chosen you. And here's what's so cool about when God chooses people. 
It never stops with them. So in Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve and says, go and multiply. I've chosen you, make more of you, right? We'll get into the specifics, but multiply, Adam and Eve. Dude, you know, yeah, make more, right? Then there's Abraham, they're the forefather of Israel. He says, Abraham, I've chosen you, your faithfulness. And he goes, hey, I'm gonna give you descendants that outnumber the stars in the sky or the grains of sand in the, in the world. Have you ever been to Destin, Florida? Every, no, that's just me. Okay, have you ever held sand in your hand? God's like, hey, Abraham, I've chosen you and through you as many, more descendants than the grains of sand in the world I'm gonna bless you with. I think about Jesus in the gospels. He goes and he chooses 12 disciples says, follow me, I've chosen you. His last words, go and make disciples of all nations. When God chooses a people, there are more people in mind. He's gonna say to the elect exiles of the dispersion. And now I wanna get lost in kind of two trains of thoughts. So if you're taking notes, I wanna talk about two things, both regarding heaven. First, when heaven is home, I wanna get lost there for a second. When heaven is home, and secondly, when heaven is here, all right? So first, let's talk about when heaven is home. And secondly, when heaven is here. So first of all, let's talk about this process of identifying home. Because some of you just came here, and when I say home, something very specific pops up, and it's not heaven, right? So for me, if you've ever come here and met me and said, hey, where are you from? I give you a longer answer than you ever asked for. I say, well, here's the deal. I was born in Paris, Tennessee, so I'm from there. But... My developmental years really happened in Mayfield, Kentucky. I went to middle school and high school. I, that was where my squad was. Like, so I'm kind of from there. But I've been in Nashville for seven years, which from what I understand from a podcast I heard, is as long as you need to live in a city to be able to say you're officially a Nashvillian. Like, and that's not, cannot be what we call ourselves, but a Nashville citizen, right? So really home can be complicated. That's literally all I'm trying to say right now. Or maybe you think about if you've ever studied abroad, even though you're waking up somewhere, you're eating somewhere, you got a community somewhere. Like I went to Israel, shout out, Daniel was there with me. God, it's beautiful, head, good haircut. We went to Israel together, it was great. But we knew the whole time, although we were in another country, eating food, waking up, doing life there, that our citizenship was somewhere else. It was in the States, right? And Peter's gonna say, hey, I know you're in this world, I know you're scattered about, but I need to remind you of something. This is not home. There is another place, this place called heaven. In verse four, he says, or maybe we'll start in a little bit at the end of verse three, that you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's the reason we're using this sojourner language. This is not home. There is something after this place. And I just wanted to take a moment to just say this. Heaven is real, and that is so weird, but it really is real. Peter's gonna take this moment and go, I know there's a lot that you see, but like heaven's a real place. I'm not doing a discourse on heaven this morning, all right? I wish that I was smart enough. Maybe we'll get in there in like 40 years when someone's trained me for long enough or whatever, but today we're just gonna keep it simple. But one day, after your life here is over, whether you believe it or not, I strongly, strongly, strongly believe you will live life somewhere else. Like that there is a heaven that awaits for those that believe in Jesus, that you'll have an actual body, 
There'll be a new heaven, a new earth. You'll be free to dwell in it. There'll be other people there and God will be there and we will be there forever. That is so freaky, but I love it and I'm uncomfortable with it. But here's the deal. I think the reason I can be uncomfortable with it is I've never come close to comprehending what perfection feels like. The absence of sin, the absence of pain, the absence of insecurity, the absence of anxiety, the absence of a lot of other words that aren't coming to my mind right now. I don't know what it's like to live into perfection, but Peter's gonna say, I wanna remind you of something. After this life, like the longest life you can live begins. That's heaven. Heaven is home. And uh, I wanna talk about a verse that where Jesus speaks in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In verse four, Peter's gonna reference imperishable, undefiled and unfading. He learned that from Jesus. Jesus himself goes, listen, there is a place where moths and rust don't destroy. Store up your things here. Jesus says that because he understands we live in a world that tries to get you to look at everything in the physical, what you can see, what you can hear, what you can feel, invest in that. When I was on my Israel trip, I went to a city called Ephesus, super old city. Most of it was rubble and rock, just torn down. But some of it had, uh, had kept up, what's the word, preserved. They preserved some of the city. And everyone wants to go see it because it's very rare that something super old is still put together. Why? Because things rust. They fall apart. That's what things do. One day, my 2010 Toyota Corolla Sport with a spoiler, super fast, <laughs> gas efficient, car will be gone and there'll be flying cars. And then one day those flying cars will be gone. Why? That's what things do. But Jesus knows, although we know this, our bodies are going to like, like they're going to turn to dust. Like that's just what's going to happen. It's kind of morbid, kind of sad, but it's what happens. Jesus goes, even though you know this logically, you still follow the currents of this world that tell you to put your stock in what you see and what you can build up for yourself, whether that's your bank account or your Instagram or refurbishing your living room and tearing down that wall so the kitchen and the living room feel like one open space, very open to the community. Like that's what real estate's all about, right? Let's make it open. Wow, all these walls, let's be friends, like whatever. Like whatever you're investing in, there are so many things that are telling you, put your stock in this, hope in this. And Jesus is gonna say, no, no. This is not it. I know it feels like it's it, because it's what you can see, what you can feel with your hands, it's tangible. This is not it. Don't store up treasure here. Store up treasure in heaven. Your truest place of belonging is in the life that comes after this one. It's more real than this one will ever be, right? When heaven is home, it changes our perspective. The things we find value in, the things that we invest in, they begin to shift. Now let's look at when heaven is here. When heaven is here, verse three. Let me drink some water, man. I've been holding back a cough for like seven minutes. <laughs> and the Lord knows. He knows. I endured right there. Um, blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. This phrase hit me. Have you ever seen a newborn baby? I had a nephew. Uh, I have a nephew right now. He was born and his eyes couldn't stop moving around. He just needed to see the whole world. Why? Because he knows nothing about the world, right? When a baby is born, immediately, it's like their mission, start understanding the world right now. Blank slate, just, okay, that's, that's probably a human, maybe mom. Yep, thinking that's mama. That's, that's what babies do, right? They know nothing when they get here. The beauty of the gospel that's so powerful is Jesus says, hey, you will be born again. I'm gonna make your spirit a blank slate. All the things you feel like you know about what's valuable, what works, what's important in the world, I'm gonna renew your heart completely. Just like a new baby, it's just a blank slate, all the information being downloaded. I'm gonna do that with you spiritually. This is the miracle of following Jesus. All the things that were important, all the things that we thought mattered in this world, they begin being transformed and renewed because Jesus brings this spiritual birth. And it says to be born again to a living hope, not a future hope, not, hey, when you die, good news, a living one, a current one, a hope that is right now. It is active. Keep reading. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In Matthew 6, Jesus is gonna to talk to his disciples, and I've probably referenced this here before because I love this passage so much. He's gonna to talk to his disciples, and he's gonna go, hey, when you pray, pray like this. And the disciples probably listened to him because Jesus was Jesus, and he knew how to pray very well, they assumed. So he says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in where? In heaven. Oh, that was such a soft and timid response. <laughs> like 30 people answered, it was heaven. That was so good. <laughs> On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus goes, man, heaven is not just a future reality that we're waiting on. Like the thing about me, like I remember Dave, my friend, he asked me, he's a pastor at Ethos, my, one of my BFFs, best friends forever, best friends in the faith, whatever BFF needs to stand for. And uh, I remember him telling me, would Jesus, he asked me a question, would Jesus ever ask you to pray a prayer he wouldn't answer? And I was like, okay, I know the answer is no, but let me think, because I think you're trying to get me to be introspective right now. So would Jesus ever pray a prayer he didn't think God could answer? Okay, no, all right. Well, Jesus prays, would your will be done, Father God, on earth as it is in heaven. This is the power of the gospel, that it is not just a future hope, but a current hope, that people that believe in Jesus have been made in the image of God and are heaven bearers in a world that can so often feel like hell. He's writing to a group of people who are suffering, who are broken, who are living in a broken world, and they're trying to figure out their way. And Peter's going to remind them, don't forget who you belong to and where you belong. Like the kingdom and the heaven is not a future hope. I'm not saying just like, man, just hold your breath, like wait till you die. It's going to get good. No, it's a current living reality. People need to see heaven now. And if you follow Jesus, you are a conduit of that reality. Heaven is eager to break forth through you. And when this is true, our perspective changes. When we understand, we can have confidence in the heaven that is to come, the heaven that is our home, but also the heaven that it longs to be here, to break forth in our life, it totally changes our perspective. I thought about this story in Acts 4 from Peter himself. This is a story about Peter. 
He had just healed a lame beggar in the name of Jesus. And some of the religious people that had just killed Jesus heard about Peter healing people in the name of Jesus, and they just want the name of Jesus to leave. And they threaten Peter's life. And Peter and John, they leave that place, and they come back to tell their squad, their group of people, their community, what had taken place. They begin praying to God. And their prayer is so interesting. Okay, so they're like, hey, we healed this guy in the name of Jesus. Our lives have been threatened. Let's pray. They don't pray for the situation to go away. They don't pray for comfort. And I'm not saying it's a bad prayer, but they didn't. They pray for boldness. They're like, heaven has got to break forth. Like, heaven's got to make its way into this place. So even when our lives are threatened, we understand heaven is our belonging. This is temporary, and heaven wants to make its way to the world through this life. So when our lives are threatened, when suffering's at our front door, when doubt and fear and quail, like, let's pray for more boldness. Because when things are, are hurting us, when they're coming to our front door, it doesn't mean the world needs any less of heaven. Like, we still need the boldness. So they begin praying. In Mark 12, this guy's talking to Jesus, this religious person. And he's like, Jesus, I think I know what's most important. He goes, it's to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love, I'm paraphrasing, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds, the kingdom of God is near, is near to you. And he wasn't saying, hey, you're on the right journey. If you'll keep thinking, I'm going to teleport you to another universe. You're almost there. Say the right word and just poof, you'll disappear and find it. No, he goes, the kingdom of God is near. You're getting it. You love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. You start loving people on the same level that you love yourself. Man, the kingdom of God is close. That's what heaven looks like. That's what it means for heaven to be on earth as it is in heaven. When we believe that heaven is home, but heaven is also here, it changes the way we go through life. It changes the way we experience pain and suffering and heartache and joy and peace. It changes everything. Let's take some time to practically examine this. If these things are true, I would wanna ask you to reflect on a couple of questions. Right now in your life, as you're doing this thing, as you're on your journey, where do you find your hope? Maybe a better question would be, what brings you anxiety? What brings you fear? What shakes you a little bit? What are those things? Because I believe that God wants to take your understanding, to take your heart, and elevate it to a place that puts all of its confidence in life after this one, but also the truth that heaven is eager to break forth in you right now to help boost our faith in this, that actually bring this to the ground. I was talking to Dave again. He keeps butting his way into this sermon, and he was telling me about the first time that, um, that his wife was pregnant, and she had this epiphany that is going to sound very obvious, uh, where she realized she was eating for two people now, that everything that she ate, like, would affect the baby within her, right? So that's why you typically would tell moms, probably a good idea not to smoke cigarettes, right? Because it could probably hurt your child, right? It's obvious stuff. But it kind of got his brain rolling. He was like, you know what? I think we so often underestimate the spirit of God within us and what we can do to either nurture that life or hinder that life. 
Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God is in you. And if you're not, this is an invitation. Like, the Spirit of God wants to enter into your life. And everything you do is going to nurture or hinder that Spirit. What I'm saying is, I think we underestimate all the things that we're taking in in our life. I've been on, you can ask Leah, I've been geeking out so hard the past two weeks about the weightiness of social media and what all it does to your brain. She has been very gracious, but she's really rolled her eyes too because I keep talking about it. Like, it's so crazy, but I've been like, man, everything I take in keeps informing me of what's important, of what I should base my life on, on what beauty looks like, on what success looks like. And I think we underestimate how easy it can be to be formed by those things. It's not just social media, it's TV, it's all these things, but I realize, like, a part of my story, I used to love drugs. I also used to love rap that talked about drugs. And when I got off drugs, I didn't get off rap. And then I learned that the music that glorified drugs really made drugs sound good again. And I was like, whoa. But it took time. And I'm not telling you you're only allowed to listen to Chris Tomlin right now or like Hillsong. Do you? I also love other music that's not just like worship music. But I did realize like there is a connection to be made. This thing I keep intaking and filling my brain with is affecting my desires. And I don't think we do this enough. And this is not legalistic or something like, that's not, none of that is happening right now. But it's important. What is the media you're taking in? What are the things you're exposing your brain to? What's it informing you of? Because here's the truth. I believe this with all my heart. I feel like I'm experiencing this. The more you fill your mind with Jesus, the more of his word, the more you pray, like take it like real talk prayer, like this is what I'm mad about, I'm heartbroken about, I'm insecure about, I'm happy about, like get real with them. The more you do that, the more you're around people that point you to Jesus, the more concepts, ideas like this, that heaven is actually home and it's actually here right now, the more believable these become. I was talking with Cody this week and just watching him journey towards God, just repeatedly, and he's starting to see light. Like you're, you're just seeing it. I mean, him, we're just nerding out, like laughing. Like I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited because these truths about God that used to feel so far out and distant and hard to believe feel like I'm holding them in my hands right now. God, you're actually good. I actually think heaven's a thing. I might, I even, I might enjoy it. That would be, and my voice did this. <laughs> I couldn't control that. I'm telling you, it's scratchy. Anyway, so, so I would ask, I would ask, are you nurturing the spirit of God within you? If some of these things feel hard to believe, if you're riddled with doubt and fear, that's okay. But I would encourage you, pay attention to your intake. What things, like what, you know, the, the, the story that whatever dog you feed more will win the fight. Like, what are you feeding your soul with? Those things do have an impact. So I'd encourage you to check that and see if you can't get around some people that point you to Jesus. Last thing, and then we'll go to communion. I believe faith is a give and take kind of thing with God. There's some things that we only lean on the grace of God with. Like, salvation is one of those things. Like, God had to make a way. We had no shot there. There's some things that we just open our hands and go, God, if you don't intervene, that's it. You gotta do it. But there's some things, or some heavenly realities that I believe are possible if we'll take steps. He wants your participation. I think about this time last summer where we were praying as a staff and we had this idea that we were gonna go out into the city and just discern where God might be at work. And if God led us to talk with someone, pray with someone, we'd go do it. And we looked at Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sends out the, the 72 and he promises them that he'll show up there and all these things. And we could have just talked about it. And then I could have written up a sermon that said, hey, do you know if you go out into the city and are led by the spirit, God will show up? But instead we chose to act 
to actually walk around. Was anyone there last year when Slav and Yulia came to church? Lindy was there? Yes, yeah, okay, good. So I go on this walk in Hillsborough Village. I see a guy shooting hoops, and I sense the Lord telling me, that's your guy. Go talk to this guy. And I don't know if you've ever walked up to a guy playing basketball by himself, but the segue is difficult. You know, it's like, hey, getting hoops? You seen uh, Kobe Bryant? Good ball player. Hey, I'm from church. You know, like, what do you do? Like, so I just chose to be very direct. Hey, dude, this is going to sound crazy, but... I work at a church, we were praying, I feel God tell me to come talk to you, whatever. I had some very awkward encounters, this was not one of them, all right, they did happen. This guy, just tears, he goes, okay, my name's Slav, my wife Yulia's in the Ronald McDonald house, our daughter is in Vanderbilt right now, she's a newborn, she's, we're worried she might die, it's not, it's not looking good right now, okay? Just starts crying, weeping, he's like, I, I believe in God, but like, it's kinda hard to believe in God right now, like, this is really, really hard, and I was like, oh my goodness, like, I think God is like, I think this is a divine moment. I think that we're stepping into something we knew kind of in our heads that was true, but it's actually illuminating right now. Now, I think that, that Isla, maybe she was gonna be released from the hospital regardless, because she ends up, she's good now. I checked her Instagram, she's doing great. But there was this moment where God wanted to speak to someone, and only because someone was pushed into obedience did that person get spoken to, right? It's like, I think there's more heavenly moments than we, than we understand that are actually available if we'll just step into obedience. And I'm not telling you, you can, you don't have to go out into the city today listening for the Spirit, but I do feel like God is inviting you into things. And if you'll just take steps, heavenly realities will reveal themselves to you. You'll get glimpses of God. We can't keep this at a head knowledge transfer kind of conversation. God wants our physical bodies to participate in the kingdom of God in heaven. So this is a lifelong journey. Tomorrow, if you pray, you get in the word, you get around some people that love God, you go out into the city. Like, it's not all just gonna hit. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit will do something crazy. This is a journey. So wherever you're at in this journey, I would just encourage you to take your next step. And that's gonna look different for everybody. And that's totally cool. That's like God's plan. He's always down to find you where you are, to take a next step. So as we go to communion, I wanna invite you. So what we do every week here, we're gonna have a slide that explains communion and why we invite everyone to take it. Um, but we always circle up our chairs in groups of three to five people. And the reason we do this is we wanna to participate together. We wanna to be known here. So I'm gonna invite you, if you're comfortable, you never have to do this. You can put your head down, stand at the back. But if you're comfortable, circle up your chairs and just answer a simple question. Where are you placing your hope right now? Like what are, your, what are you placing your hope in right now? And secondly, how can you place your hope in Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you're like, look, I don't even know what that means. I don't even believe in God. Like, just share your story. Y'all can just catch up. But these are some questions that could guide conversation. Where are you placing your hope right now? And if you desire it, how can you place your hope in Jesus, okay? So I'm gonna pray for us. We'll stand together, take communion, and I'll invite us to circle up our chairs and talk. So God, thank you for this, this afternoon. Um, thank you, Lord, for this word. Wherever I was confusing, bring clarity, God. Um, yeah, just help us to decipher this and to step into this. Heaven can feel so far out and, and weird and ambiguous. I pray, God, would you help us to, yeah, just grow in our understanding and also help us to step into this together. I know it only gets better with obedience and community and doing this with you and, and with us. So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.